Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? How's this going? Good? All right. I'm not going to shout then because I can't really hear myself, but that's all right. I don't need to hear me. You need to hear me. Um, how good was it having Pastor Beck speak last week? I enjoyed it. I got to receive the word. And um, I love that we spoke about the assurance of salvation and also uh, touching on the perseverance of the saints. I know there are some big topics, um, but you can go listen to the message from uh, last week as a bit of a foundation um, for what we are doing in this series. But the other thing that I want to highlight is that in a couple of weeks' time, um, so we are actually going to extend this series to the 1st of May. Um, So the 1st of May, uh, Pastor Beck and I are going to be seated here, and we are going to have a discussion. We are going to have a conversation around the questions that you have. There should be a slide coming up. Up, we're, there we go. And so it's a bit of a Q&A Sunday. Already we have got a number of questions that have come through and um, Pastor Beck is going to have to spend some time preparing um, as I shoot her those questions on that Sunday. No, we're going to try to have a conversation around some of these pretty complex questions. I, I do love that people are thinking about salvation. This is not something that we should just take lightly. It isn't something that happened in our past and then that's it. Salvation impacts our everyday as we continue to talk about it. You Hopefully that's something that settles in your heart as well. And so we need to wrestle with this. The Bible tells us that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's not something to take lightly. It's not just a puzzle that you do because you have got time. Yeah? No one's got time for that anymore. You know, we actually need to wrestle with some of these things because it has a bearing on our everyday life and then it has a bearing on our eternity. And so we want to discuss this. We want to give you, um, uh, I guess, a bit of a handle on some of these concepts that honestly uh, theologians continue to um, wrestle with as well. And so we're not, prob- not looking to give you uh, an answer and maybe a Q&A is not so great as much as a question and response. We're giving you a response and hopefully a handle on some of these complex questions that are coming in. Some of them are like, you know, uh, do we have free will in all of this? And I know that some of the young adults keep talking about free will. So I think it was one of the young adults that sends through that question. Little punks. Um, we love you guys. And we're going to have a great time on the 1st of May. And um, so let's dive into this. We are going to talk about salvation, of course. That's what this series is, Jesus Saves. And um, I just want to um, tell you a bit of my history, a history lesson from Nate's past. Um, my family migrated here from Singapore when I was 15. So I was still a teenager, and, um, and when we came here, it was at the time of, some people might notice, but Planet Shakers and Youth Alive, and it was awesome, and I, I remember we, we, we had uh, Beck and Dan over for dinner, and it reminded me that I had sat on a coach from Perth to Adelaide, 36 hours, in a stinking bus with 20 other young adults and youth, um, some of whom thought that farting was a great way to pass, 36 hours in a bus. And, um, and so we, we took a bus um, to the, the Planet Shakers conference, and, and there were thousands of youth, and this was quite an experience for me. I came from a bit more of a conservative background, and, and my uh, understanding of God, I don't think this was what was taught, but it was just more what was caught in the atmosphere. I needed to work out a way to please God. 
Because if I don't please God, then who knows what's going to happen? That was kind of background that I came from. And I came to Perth, I came to Australia, and I saw young people my age and younger worshipping God with such a freedom and an abandon that it got me kind of thinking. At first, I thought that they were just being you know, young people that had just too much energy, and so they were jumping around and, and doing all these things. But then I heard these young people talk about saving their schools. I heard these young people talk about having such a passion for God that they were willing to give up all sorts of stuff to see their friends saved. And a big part of this was the message of grace that was presented in a way that I hadn't heard before. It was a grace that was freely given by God that all I needed to do was to receive it. And then I have this salvation. I don't have to be worried that God would ever demand that I please Him because He made me pleasing to Him. This was the message of grace that that I saw was setting so many young people free and it was exciting. It was amazing young people who used their passion and energies for God. I was like, this is good stuff. And so when I became a youth pastor a few years later, I, I, I wanted our young people to catch that. And so I preached a message of grace. I spoke about how God freely gave us, that He can set us free from depression, anxiety, addictions, violence, trauma, our past. In a moment, God's grace can set us all free. That's what the Bible teaches us. And, and I would say, who wants this Jesus? And then we would say a sinner's prayer and we would get young people to respond by putting their hands up. And every single Friday, because that's when youth services happen, for some reason, adults meet God on Sundays and young people meet God on Friday nights. It's just the way that the world works. And, and, and these young people, they would raise their hands and they would say this prayer. And then I would bring a great report to my senior pastors. We saw more young people saved. And, and it was exciting for me. I loved it. And we did that for years. And then I started to realize after a while that some of these saved young people continued to ask to be saved every week. And then it was say this in this prayer. I'm like, what's wrong with you? Haven't you caught on that Jesus has saved you? And they were like, yeah. Well. And I realized that they were responding perhaps out of emotion. That we presented a space where they experienced and encountered something that was really invigorating. And so they were like, I want more of this. And so they, they, they were like, yes, cool. Let me say that prayer and I'll have more of this, which in a way was really good. But then I also started to see something else. I started to count the number of young people that continued to love God and serve God, and I started to see that maybe I could only count the number of teens that continued to stay with God on, on maybe two hands when we'd serve hundreds in our time. And so I started to ask myself, is that the message of salvation? That someone would come and respond what seems to be in faith, and then they would enjoy it for a little while, and then that's, is, is that it? Is that what salvation is all about? And so I want to present to you what I have been reflecting on and learning over the last few years about salvation. Because I think that there's something about this that we presented that was amazing and important uh, in the grace message. But I also think that we were presenting a part of salvation and not the fullness of it. So let's turn to Romans chapter 3. By the way, everything that I'm going to be speaking of today is going to come from the book of Romans because the book of Romans contains a lot about what God has done and what He then 
asks of us to do, if you will. Um, but this, this is, it comes from all parts of the Bible, and there's a lot of it in there. But I thought if I can give you one key kind of thinking about salvation, then you can go from there. And so it's all going to come from Romans. Read the whole book of Romans for yourself. It's fantastic. It takes a long time to chew on all the concepts that Paul gives you, but hopefully I'll give you a handle on some things this morning. Let's get to work. Romans 3, 23 to 26. This is what it says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as the sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just and to and, and, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, this is a really key passage when it comes to salvation, except it doesn't use the word salvation. Instead, we find a few words that are really key to our understanding of salvation, and they are the words justified, redemption, and atonement. The next slide will show you, highlight it, because I was very technical and I think I did it well. Next slide. And there we go, uh, justified, redemption, atonement. And this is received by faith. So let's break this down. Let's think, I actually made it more hard to read, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, I'm never doing that again. So when we talk about this, it says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all who receive uh, uh, God's justification by faith receive this justification. What does justify, just, uh, justification mean? It means to be declared righteous. All right, that's all it means. It means to be declared righteous. It's a bit of a legal term. It's like you stand before a judge and you are declared innocent in this kind of the same way. This is God saying, I have declared you righteous. Now, what does righteous mean? Many of us have the sense that righteous and innocence, as I've already mentioned, are correlated. Not so in biblical terms. The word righteous is not so much about purity or innocence. It is about our relationship with God. It is us having a relationship with God that is right. So one theologian went so far as to say that righteousness is about right us-ness. Maybe there's one way that you can remember it. Is right us, is me and God. God is saying, we are good. We're good, bro. We're good. You don't need to do anything else. You have been declared righteous. We are all good. It's like, you know, when something has gone wrong in a relationship and they cause there to be a rift, there needs to be a reconciliation. Another word that the Bible uses often to talk about salvation. And there is this moment where God says, it's all good. That is righteousness. And so God has declared that our relationship with Him is right through justification. And how does He declare that we are right with Him? He does that through the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. The word redeem basically means, as we all know, because you redeem tickets, you redeem vouchers, you redeem gift cards, is to purchase. So Christ has purchased us so that we can be in right relationship with God. He has redeemed us, and, and, and so He's just simply paid the price for us. 
That's what redemption means. How did Christ uh, pay the redemption price for us? Through the atoning sacrifice of His blood. So when Jesus' blood was shed, it paid it was an atonement. It, it, it paid the price of our sin. Now, another theologian who was really clever decided that to help us understand what atonement means, it, you break up the word and it spells at one moment. At one moment. It is when Christ paid the atoning sacrifice, it was to bring us back to be with God at one moment. And so when we understand this whole idea of justification, redemption, and atonement, the whole point of this is that we are together with God again. And did you notice at what point do humans pay any price or do anything in this justification process? None. We don't do anything about this because we can't do anything about this. This is given to us by God's grace, by His mercy, and we receive it by faith. And this is the message that we need to hold on every single day of our lives, that we don't pay a price to be at one moment with God again, that we have His right usness with God, but God desires that we have this at one moment, this right usness with Him. And that is why when I was uh, in, in youth uh, ministry, one of the things that kept coming up is that uh, what we have in Christianity is not a religion. It's not about all of these practices, even though these practices are important. It is about a relationship. Because what Christ has done for us isn't simply to just get rid of your sins and get rid of the consequences of sin, but it is to bring us back into relationship with God. Now, some of us need to recognize that when you feel guilty for your past, that's not God. You need to recognize in that moment that God doesn't say to you, I have justified you, and now I'm going to call you guilty again. See, God's not fickle like that. We are fickle like that. God doesn't change his mind regarding the gift that he has given to you. God doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't look at you and then he goes, mm, let me see, how well have you worshipped, how high were your hands today? Oh, maybe about 35%. You're 35% right with me today. Does he go, how, how, how's your tithing been going? Yeah, you've given me enough of your tithe? No, you gave 9%. You're 9% saved. <laughs> Why do we have this concept that when Christ has justified us because he's paid a redemption price by the atoning sacrifice at the cross, we think that that's not sufficient for us? Why do we get to question whether Jesus' blood is sufficient for us? If he says it's enough, we say thank you. We don't go, uh, 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 how much blood did you give Jesus? Was that enough for me? I know it was enough for Beck because she didn't sin as much as me, but maybe me, I don't know if there's enough blood that was shed for my sin. No, Jesus' blood that was shed is sufficient for all of humanity and for all of sin. So what we do is that we say thank you and we receive it by faith. 
Some people need to recognize, maybe this is a great time. It's the Easter season and we recognize what Jesus has done. The guilt, the shame has been removed because God declares you righteous. He declares you righteous. He, is, he said, done. No more guilt. I don't care what you've done. You might have killed someone. You might have murdered someone. You might have stolen something. You might have just acted out in anger. You might have lied. You might have, you might have envied. You might have been jealous. You might have done all of those things. And in that moment when you say, God, I recognize that you saved me, that it's your blood on the cross that was shed on my behalf, I'm justified. So any moment, any moment I recognize that I come to God and I say, oh man, I stuffed up God, I'm not good enough. God's saying, when have you ever paid the price? Was it you on the cross? When, when, did, you, when did you ever come close to ever at any point in your life paying the price of salvation? Not once. Great, because I've done it. And so we receive it by faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is the free gift that God's given to us. And so I preach this message time and time again. And I love it. It's a message that I think we need to continue to remember but it's something that I started to see that we need to also become more aware of is that we receive this by faith. We receive this by faith. What does receiving by faith mean? You know, when I was a younger person, I thought that faith was something that maybe I believe in, but that the belief was somehow more of an emotional feel, believe kind of a thing. It's, it's that, yes, that I feel deeply inside of me, Right? And so I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I feel this faith rising up within me. And it's kind of this weird thing. It's like most of us, most of the time, trust um, and have faith that, you know, whoever created the, the, uh, and manufactured the toaster uh, did a good job. And then sometimes, weirdly, we go, like, I don't trust this toaster. I don't think it was made very well. And the faith just changes because of the feeling. That was a terrible analogy. <laughs> Maybe to think about a pilot. Some, you know, yeah, you, you, know, you, fly, you fly planes, like we, we all have not for a while, but you, know, you sit on a plane and you trust the pilot. And then someday you're just like, I don't feel it today. <laughs> oh no, it's, don't, don't feel it. And then it's like, oh, I've lost my faith. Is that what it is like with God? How do we receive this justification by faith? And I was looking and, and I've been reading through... Um, in my Bible reading through the Bible, and, 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 and this verse popped up to me in Romans 1 verse 5. It says, through him, which is God, we receive grace and apostleship. And this is Paul saying, this is what I have received. Uh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Through him, uh, we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. To the obedience that comes from faith. Another translation says, to the obedience of faith. Faith and obedience equated in the same kind of a way. My faith is not a feeling. There's a level of action 
in terms of my obedience when it comes to faith. The obedience that comes from faith. So what, what, what is faith then? How do I know whether I am acting out and receiving by faith? What, how, how, how do I know that faith is actually active in my life? This is the question that I think we need to come to, and I want to unpack it with you today. Let's go to Romans chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. It says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented, uh, sorry, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members to slaves, sorry, your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So Paul writes here that when you were taught about Christ, you were taught that Christ is this amazing God who would actually love you and would do all these amazing things for you, right? And so what happens is that you choose to become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching that you received. That's faith. When I choose to be obedient to Christ. You see, what happens is that when we are in this place where we recognize our sin and we recognize our limitations in ourselves and we go, this life is not satisfactory enough. There must be more to life. And you are here gathered in this room this morning because there must be something inside of you that goes, I can't do life by myself. And so because you have had that moment of, I can't do life by myself, you heard about Christ and what He has done and what He teaches us about what life can be, and we go, I want that. And so when you say, I want that, what we've taught our young people to do and what we've taught many people to do is say a prayer. Say a prayer to commit yourself to God. And it's an action that you can remember so that you go, yeah, 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 I've done that. But what should be happening is that in your heart I go, I need God. I can't do life by myself, and so I need God. Now, the problem is that we need to be obedient to all the teachings of Christ and not just some. But in that moment where we are presenting the gospel message, we don't have enough time to present the whole Bible to someone. It's taken me this year, I've been, I thought I could do it in 30 days because there's a Bible reading plan to read through the Bible in 30 days. I'm probably at day 45, and I'm stuck at Revelation it's the last book. I'm nearly done. It's taken me a month and a half to read through the whole Bible. I've got 30 minutes on a Friday night to present the gospel to the young people. And so I've discovered that there is something more about faith than just this momentary, I like that. There's actually something deeper that says, I want to become fully given and fully obedient to everything that Christ teaches. So much so that Paul actually says that you used to be slaves to sin, but now you are a slave to righteousness. I find that I haven't taught that many times in my youth ministry days. Who wants to be slaves to righteousness? Lift up your hands and let us pray. Oh God, that you will put us in chains to righteousness. But Paul does say this is not literally what happens. He's using an analogy. There needs to be this desire, this pull towards 
right usness with God, towards this relationship with God. And there's something that I've discovered that when we started describing Christianity as more of a relationship and not a religion, what was going on is that there was a reaction to legalism. It was a reaction to us having to act and do things in a certain way to earn God's approval. And so we wanted to react against that and say, no, 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 that's not what it's about. But we talked about God as a relational God. So much so is that God wants to give you free gifts, so whenever you need a gift, you go to God. We didn't talk about the relationship with God is still as a king, is still as our Lord. He also calls his friend, and he also calls his brothers and sisters, but he is also king. And so when we have a relationship with God where he is some kind of weird genie a dispensing machine, a grace dispenser, oh, I need more grace today, Lord. That's a dumb friend. Have you ever got any, anyone got a friend that you, you mistreat and you just get what you want, but you don't really care about them? Some of us treat God that way. I need grace today. I'm going to go to God. I'm feeling good. I don't need God today. I'm going to do my own thing. What kind of dumb relationship is that? In my relationship with my wife, which is supposed to be something that mirrors what we have with God, do I just go to her and ask her for things that I want and then walk away? Do I just say, you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be gracious. You're supposed to be merciful, man. Stop telling me what I need to do. If I did that, would I have a marriage? Why do we think we still have a relationship with God where we put God on the shelf and we say, I've got to rub your tummy today and then you give me what I want? God's no genie. He's no Buddha. He is a relational God who has paid the price on the cross with his life so that I can have right usness. I went completely off track. But we... We need to understand that when we came, to, we came to realize who God is and what He has done for us, there needed to be something, a realization that maybe started in our head, but then it also stirred up because the Bible tells us that it's the Holy Spirit that helps us to believe. And so there's something going on that says, I need to give, not this moment to Christ, but the rest of my life. And what Paul says here is that this is sanctification. See, we talked about justification a moment ago. Justification is where God declares us righteous. Sanctification is where we learn to live in righteousness. Justification is that moment of declaration that you are allowed back into relationship with God. Sanctification is us learning how that relationship with God looks like. If you don't engage in relationship with God on a daily basis, you're still at the justification stage. That's the beginning of salvation, not the end of salvation. There's tension here because the Bible seems to describe that when we receive that justification or when we want to receive that justification but we don't stick through in sanctification, that justification wasn't really real. There is this thought. I'm wrestling with it. 
But there is certain truth in the Bible that says if you don't persevere in the faith, like what Pastor Beck was talking about last week, if you don't persevere in that coming to God, you don't stick through that sanctification, did you really receive justification? Your faith is made present. Like what your faith is, is uncovered through the process of sanctification. When we learn to live with God, it reveals to us where our faith really is at with God. I trust God for my salvation, but not for my finances. No. You either trust God or you don't. I trust God with my salvation, but not the relationships and how I spend my time. Is that faith? Probably not. I trust God with my salvation, but He don't get to tell me what I do today. He don't get to tell me what I do with my giftings, and He don't get to tell me that He called me and that He's got designs for me and that He's prepared me for good works. I don't want any of that. I just want salvation. Jesus isn't a pick and mix that you go through at Subway. I have a bit of salad, but I want more meatballs. No, it doesn't work that way. You get four meatballs and you get a ton of salad. Why do we go to Jesus and say, yes, I have faith in you. Trust me and you walk on water. No, there's storms, Jesus. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Jesus, why don't I get everything else first? I want a career that I want. I want a lifestyle that I want. And when I achieve that, I will come back to you and I'll say, all right, let's walk on water. Faith isn't something that we feel at one moment and lose the next moment. Faith is this conviction that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And so I have to obey and learn to obey. Paul helps us out here in Romans 6, 20 to 23. He says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. When you were slaves of sin, you did not have to care about your relationship with God. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and at its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We sometimes quote, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So say this prayer and you're all good. No, that's not what this verse is saying. This verse is saying, for the wages of being a slave to sin is death. But when I learn to be a slave to righteousness, when I learn to be a slave to my relationship with God, that's what leads to life. Has anyone ever played with Lego before? Anyone ever put this little Lego person and built this Lego world and then said to this Lego person, I want a relationship with you. When I think of the fact that God wants a relationship with me, that's what we should be thinking about. He created me. 
He could zap me. He could play with my mind, make me do what he wants. But he gives me the choice to be in relationship with him. And so there is this wrestle that I've had because I've started to see that faith isn't just this wishy-washy, one moment I feel it, next moment I don't kind of a thing. I realize that I have to live for God. And then I realize following God is hard. I don't make it work very well all the time. So does that mean I don't have enough faith? Does that mean that I am not justified? And I love that Paul actually talks about this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God and does not uh, submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not of the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That's not my words. Paul says there is now therefore no condemnation. And then he also tells us to set our mind on the things of the Spirit. I think that what Paul is saying here is that in your process of sanctification, there are moments where you're going to fail. There are moments where your mind is set on the things of the flesh. But there's no condemnation. You might reap what you have sown, You've done things to attract death, so you get death. There are times that I've heard many times, you want unforgiveness, you get sick. You want to make things work in your own way, you get anxiety. You want things to work your own way, you get depression. You get hopelessness, and it has an effect on your life. But there's no condemnation because the righteous requirement was met by Jesus Christ at the cross. But learn to set your mind. See, faith is understanding that the, justify, the justification payment has been made, but now I'm learning to set my mind. If justification would mean that my mind is already set, then Paul wouldn't tell me that I need to set my mind. 
If I would automatically become obedient the moment I accepted Jesus into my life, then why does the Bible tell me again and again, learn to be obedient? Because it's the process of faith. It's me coming to God and saying, I hear you, I'm struggling, and therefore I need you. But there's also another warning that Paul gives us in Romans 14, 23. It says, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. This doesn't mean that you're meant to have this gut feel believe the whole time. This means that you are coming to God and saying, God, what is it that you are wanting to do? What is your will and what is your purposes? What are your ways and what are your commands? And I'm going to do my best to follow that. And if I, that, that, that's the heart, that is the obedience that we are giving to God, that is pleasing to God. But the moment we go, I don't need to search God for that, I'm going to do this my way, sin. It doesn't matter that you're doing something good. You can be giving a million dollars to charity by yourself, and that's still sin. Because there was no faith attached to it. It wasn't about me searching after God. So there's so many people that think that they're good people because they're doing good things. But they're not doing it with a heart that is saying, God, I want, I want to be following you. The question that we have to ask is this. In my journey of salvation, am I setting my mind on the things of the Spirit? Am I learning to be obedient to what God is saying? And therefore proving, evidencing that I'm on the process of sanctification. But sometimes that leads us to this difficulty in evaluating ourselves. So I want to flip that this morning and ask you another question. And I want to ask, what are you doing today and tomorrow and the day after to demonstrate your faith in your relationship with God? It's great you made your way here today. Maybe that's a part of the faith journey. Fantastic. Maybe you didn't want to be here, but you still made it here. Maybe you didn't want to worship, but you still raised your hands. Great. But you know what? Sunday gatherings are the best way to demonstrate faith because it's easy. This should be easy. Everyone that struggles to get here, I'm like, if you struggle to get here, how do you, how do, you do faith outside of this? Because the Bible tells us that a gathering is for the encouragement and the edification of one another. I know that I need to be edified here because when I go out there, it gets hard. The temptations don't happen here. They happen out there. And I know that I need to be built up and ready and equipped and edified and encouraged and filled up because when I get out there, I'm going to get drained pretty quick. So this is a demonstration of faith. God, I know that my Mondays to Saturdays can get tough. But so I'm going to put you first 
first day of the week, Sunday, I'm coming to your house. I'm going to worship with your people. I'm going to listen to your word. I'm going to encourage someone else, and I'm going to be encouraged. I'm going to build someone else up, and I'm going to be built up. And then I'm going to step into my Monday, and I know, God, you've spoken to me about what today is going to be, and I want to obey that. I'm going to say the things you want me to say. I'm going to do the things that you told me to do. And then Tuesday comes. Yes, I'm still going to walk by faith and not by sight. God, I want to live in that relationship with you. And as we continue in that kind of a process, there is this sense of like, yes. I felt really strongly during worship that there are people that started off with that sense of, Jesus, I need you, but then something has happened that made you go, I think I can do it better. I think there are people that started really well, but you're in the middle. And I'm not saying there's any condemnation in this moment, in this space, but I'm saying that there is a moment, no condemnation perhaps, but some of those tests reveal to us what our faith really is in. Some of us have more faith in the gift than in the giver. Some of us have more faith in the wonderful good promises of God rather than the promise from Jesus that in this life you will face trials of many kind. God promises us difficult times in our faith. But God also promises us that those who persevere in faith will always have him with us. You're graced for every moment, Christian. So why do we run? Why do we run? Why do we run when things get hard? Why do we stop our faith when the promise is that he who started a good work in you will complete it? That he never loses anyone that has been entrusted to him. That he will hold you if you want to be held. In the midst of our life, we are fickle, but God is gracious. We're going to do communion a little bit differently this morning. Host, if I can get you to help me. I would like us to get into groups of maybe four or five. Um, tech team, if you can just put on like a worship music in a, in a little while. And so you're going to get you to find your little groups of four or five. And then you're going to send one up to get one slice of bread. And we'll give the cups out once you form your groups. So we'll just wait for a moment. I'll give instructions and then we move. So everyone just hang on a moment. <laughs> hang on a moment. I just wanted to show you we got bread this morning. Wonderful, fresh bread. And we're going to do communion together. And we're going to remember that Jesus paid the atoning sacrifice for us. We receive his salvation. He received his justification, not by works, but by faith. But then from there, as we have communion together, let's pray. Because I know that the journey of faith has ups and downs. I know that the journey of faith isn't always straightforward. 
God is good all the time, but we don't always see it. God is good all the time, but there's still trials. God is good all the time, but there are moments where I don't know where He is. And that's why there's a community of faith, the community of believers where we can stand with one another and remind us God is still good. And so let's pray. Let's remind each other of God's goodness and His faithfulness this morning. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.